What's up, Internet? You're tuned into episode 23 of the Comics Pals podcast, the show where a bunch of comic book journalists slash friends get together to talk about comics because we don't talk about them enough in our daily lives, apparently. That's what Sean always says anyway. And it's all coming according to plan. Two pals down, three pals left. The show will be all mine soon. <laughs> who, who will be the top dog standing? I bet it will be Phil. <laughs> Find out at the end of this episode. So based on the fact that I am hosting the show today and Phil's joke there, it should be apparent. It's just the three of us this week. Um, if you guys tuned in last week, you know we did part one of our Iron Fist review. We've decided to move the second half of it to uh, its own special like we did with the Kong Skull Island review that Kale and I did. So you guys can expect um, that as well as our WrestleMania review coming out sometime in the next week probably. Uh, so this week, we're just going to, we got a ton of news to talk about. Um, we're going to have a whole different topic of the show all about comic book journalism. So uh, we're going to jump into the show the way we normally do by talking about what we're reading this week. And I think Kel wanted to take it away, right? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so this week, I uh, I still haven't done reading. I, col- I colored yesterday. So um, go check out our Colored Instagram. me surprised, everyone. <laughs> Uh, but I did watch, uh, I spent the rest of the week watching, uh, Legion and man, that show guys, I said it last week and I'm going to say it again this week. We have been wasting our time with iron fist. <laughs> Legion is, I promise. So good. I promise I'll watch Legion this week. I promise. It is so good. Um, can I ask you what makes it good? Uh, I, you know, I, I, they're like, there's so much literally like. Um, the acting is great. Like what? Number one, Aubrey Plaza. Like it's so cool to see Aubrey Plaza be some some something that's not Aubrey Plaza. Mm, like true. to see her yeah. actually act, and I'm certainly not saying that she doesn't or she's not a talented actress, but she's amazing in this show. Yeah, I um, mean, like she's she's been hired like consistently to play like her, yeah, to do like yeah, yeah. her character, you know. So and she, I see what you're saying, nails it in this show. Um, the the guy who plays uh David Holler uh Legion, um, is amazing. He's really really great. Uh, and for those who don't know, Legion is Professor X's son, and so it's like. The story's all about yeah. him and Spoilers. whoever Aubrey Plaza's character is. Spoilers, yeah, right. Pete. Spoilers based on uh, the name of the damn show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't think most people are familiar with that that character and that story arc in general. Yeah, I, I, that that was that's why I wanted to just throw that context out there because, like, I know I I feel like people know that this is connected to the X Men universe, but they don't really quite know how. So I think I think if you took like the the film Push and like took, you know, like, the psychic elements of Push and melded it with X-Men, that's what this show would be. With that sounds pretty hints cool. of Inception, but better uh, graphics. So, are yeah. you saying that it's better than Iron Fist? By far. I don't... Mm, Fox making another that... better product than Marvel. You piece of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, we were brothers! <laughs> were I have bring... the high ground, Pete! <laughs> you were supposed to bring balance to the pals, not lead it into darkness! So wait, let me, uh, Kale, here's the real question, though. Um, did you read any reviews of Riverdale this week? No, I haven't. 
Uh, and I don't know if Wait, I'll ever. Dude, how are we supposed for, how are we supposed to do the Riverdale review for news that's coming out here this episode? I don't know if I'll ever get to. <laughs> uh, but one one more thing I did want to uh shout out a uh, friend of the show, Nick Lollum, uh, and his wife Rachel, who's uh, they're both very close friends of mine. Just had a baby, uh, named uh, Gwen Marie Lollum. Um, we're very we're all very excited. Um. So I had a newest pal. I I had a thought, guys. Uh, we're parents now. I think uh, I, I we should probably adopt this baby. Um, <laughs> I'm glad I was going where just, you were going. I'm just saying, Kale. you know, we we've got we've got a li- we've got little ones to think of now, and um, I think it's time we stepped up our game. We should probably be like an adult podcast. Five pals and a baby. I'd watch that show. <laughs> well, congratulations to them for sure. I was going to say thanks a lot for the baby. <laughs> thanks for letting us stew for nine months so we can kidnap it. Uh, all right. So moving along, Phil, did you read anything this week? Yeah, I read more reviews on the Iron Fist show. And like, I don't think any of the reviews. Like, I was talking to a friend of mine who I got into watching it. And in the same way that I was trepidatious, he was full of trepidation. Because generally, when things have poor reviews, you're not very enthusiastic to watch it. You know, this is kind of what, kind of the way yeah. it is. I mean, but, I uh, think especially in like the current review atmosphere, I feel like things are generally either like super, like it's the greatest thing ever, or it's trash. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but for me, like all the reviews are really nitpicky, or they are about like straw man race issues, and not really about the quality of the show itself. Um, and that's what my friend said as well. Uh, with that said, I'm 12 episodes deep. I know you finished the show, but it just, yeah. it's, it's just like a continual motion machine. It just keeps getting faster and faster. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it ramps really well. Like the first three episodes definitely have the pacing issues we talked about last week, but I think it, it ends really strong and I, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think a lot of the critiques that I've heard seem unfair or nitpicky, um, I and mean, we even made that case that like we felt like that the guys, some the other guys were being nitpicky last week. So I maybe you and I are just being a little forgiving. I don't know, but um, the one really legitimate critique I I think I've seen is like <clears throat> I think that the main cast probably would have benefited from more production time to like especially Finn Jones to train a little bit more the martial arts and stuff. Like I didn't personally think that like he was bad, but I'm no expert in martial arts. But I've definitely seen that lobbied by a lot of martial artists. So yeah, but you know the thing that worked for Daredevil is you don't really get to see uh, Charlie Cox do martial arts because he's either wearing a black like costume with a mask covering the top half of his face, or he's in the Daredevil costume where so Finn get Jones somebody is literally to do it. Yeah, where Finn Jones is literally just being Finn Jones. Yeah. So, you know, you got to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, but whatever. Yeah, I'm super impressed by it, though. Like, the character development is terrific. I I, I like this show more than I like Jessica Jones. I, I still think that's really surprising, but let's save the rest of that discussion for the review. Like, just to remind you guys, we'll be putting it out this week, so keep an eye out for it. It'll be on our YouTube channel and podcast services, you know, that we're all on. Um, speaking of which... Write in and tell everyone why I'm the best. 
Yeah, speaking of which, we usually kind of plug that stuff earlier in the show, so I will say, uh, if you haven't already, you know, please go subscribe to our YouTube channel, like the video, share it with your friends, best way you can help the channel, um, you know, go and follow us on SoundCloud or iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast services are. If you are on iTunes, you can uh, do us a favor and give us another rating, where we are currently a five-star rated podcast, something we're very proud of, and if you do want to write into the show, um, you know, let us know what you're reading, let us know what comics you'd like us to check out. Um, any of your thoughts on any of the news, any of that stuff, you can uh, send us an email at thecomicspals at gmail.com. That's thecomicspals at gmail.com. So um, that's going to take us into the news. We're going to skip beep, the, beep, beep, the beep, silly beep, segments beep, beep. this week. Um, we got a pretty pretty stacked list this week. So uh, we actually had to make some cuts even just to, you know, in the interest of time. So Circumcise um, the news. A little bit, yeah. So item number one on the list is uh, – so. If you guys haven't heard already, there is a solo Venom movie that's been confirmed by uh, Sony Pictures early in March. It's going to be coming out uh, later this year on the, I think it's 20th anniversary of the character, something like that. Um, But anyway, um, so the the rumor now that's kind of coming around is that this movie is going to be part of its own new Marvel Cinematic Universe um, that Venom will be R-rated, and it's all the movies in this universe will be R-rated, kind of Sony's attempt to get in on that Logan Deadpool money. And uh, the other movie that's currently being talked about uh, in production is a Black Cat and Silver Sable movie. So um, I just kind of wanted to open the floor up for this one. I I am, you know, I'm not happy about this. You know, I, I don't, I'm not... I mean, I don't really think Venom needs a solo movie, personally. I don't really think... I, like, I love Black Cat and Venom, but I don't think either of them are characters that warrant their own solo movie. Um, I could see the cause for there being a solo Venom movie, but I think Kale shared a tweet from somebody online that made the made a joke that like the audience for this movie is like me 10 years ago if my mom would let me go see it. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. like, I kind of feel that way. You know, like, I, I don't really think that there's a huge relevance for this character in the way that there was in the 90s or the 80s, and I don't I don't see how you make an interesting Venom movie that has no connection to Spider-Man that feels any way believable, you know? I, um, as you were bringing up the news and, uh, this headline, I had this, like, panic attack in my head as I was re- trying to recall the headline that they were doing, <laughs> it said, in my head it said, Venom, 25 films. And I went, no! (laughs) (laughs) I'm super ambivalent about this. I could... Yeah, I don't care. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, the other other kind of interesting addendum is something that um, was going to be its own news item, but I'll just kind of briefly mention here, is that um, there's an interview with the person who kind of was in charge of the deal between Marvel and Sony for Spider-Man. And we also learned that there's a chance that after the Avengers movies and everything, and then the additional homecoming sequel that uh, Sony, like the deal with Sony and Marvel to have Spider-Man in the MCU will be up. So they'd have to renegotiate for it. So if this universe is doing well, they might have the ability to like take Spider-Man back at that point. So they definitely have the leverage. That's for sure. It's super concerning. Um, I mean, like granted, this won't be a problem for like, you know, probably several years, but I'm not confident about, like, the success of these movies, and I really hope that it doesn't affect Spider-Man's presence in the MCU. Sony doesn't really have the best track record with movies in general. Sony makes a lot of shitty movies, (laughs) Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if these films aren't good, but I'd rather 
honestly, I'd rather I'd like to see a good Venom movie. Um, I'd rather see any movie be good in general, just for entertainment purposes. I'm not thinking about it from like a well, this affects Marvel's long-term goals. I'd rather just be like, well, I hope this movie's good so I can enjoy it. Well, I mean, generally I'm with you, but in this case, I do hope these movies are bad so that... You have a very personal stake in this. Yeah, for sure. You know, especially just because, like, Sony hasn't always treated the Spider-Man IP well, and, like, from what we've seen so far, it really seems like Marvel's going to give me exactly what I want, and I don't want to see... And, like, God forbid, man, like, they lose the rights and then they have to, like, write Spider-Man out of the MCU and stuff like that. Like, that would be really disappointing if we're four movies in and I really like Tom Holland and everything, you know? Yeah, dude, what if they're going to kill Spider-Man? Sony's just going to reboot it, and we'll get another Andrew Garfield. Oh, oh that'd be Amazing Spider-Man 3, six years oh from now. Oh my god, no. And then they'd have to, like, retroactively write him into a universe where, like, characters like Black Cat and Venom and stuff already exist. And it's like, how does that even make sense? You know, like, I don't know. I feel like these are going to, like, these movies are going to feel like the superhero movies we got in, like, the like, uh, late 90s, early 2000s of just kind of, like, everything's weird and self-contained and it's, like, not really connected to the comics. It's just kind of, like, a weird interpretation of these characters. Uh, it could be good, though, because a lot of those movies... A lot of those movies were pretty good, actually. Like, the Blade movies, not bad. The Blade movies are sick, yeah. Yeah, oh, well, and then... not all of them. One of them. One of them's really good. One of them's okay. And then and the, the third one's sucks. hilarious. Yeah. I, yeah, Phil, uh, I don't know. I, I don't agree with your optimism like we had oh i'm not being optimistic we, necessarily we, i'm just saying i want from them to be good we, <laughs> we had that age and now we live in an age where all of this stuff is connected i would rather just be connected like yeah dude i'm, I'm with you on that one like i i would love to see venom and black cat in spider-man sequels you know like yeah you know, like i i love those characters like black cat is my all-time favorite femme fatale like and venom is fun like venom is a great anti-hero and like a, a great you know counterpoint to spider-man he's one of the only like dark mirror image characters like that that i really like because like i it makes sense in a way that i feel like a lot of the other characters don't because of like i like the duality there you know of like venom's relationship with peter and eddie's relationship with peter and like i don't know I, i'd much rather see these characters be what they are which is supporting players to a much better leading character um you guys get the mental image of the sony bigwigs sitting in an executive boardroom and saying like so who's our harley quinn and yeah. someone's like well, yes what? yes i know 100 so afraid yep. that's going to happen yep. i'm so afraid that's going to happen dude i don't want that like black hat is not like that and she doesn't need to be and she shouldn't be and like i don't want them to make a new costume for her that's more revealing i don't want them to like hot topic eyes her like, oh dude they're gonna hot topic eyes her ugh. dude it's like i don't know no please like I, I i know she wears like a full leather bodysuit so that's like in itself kind of very sexual but like i like that like she has like a femme fatale look but it's not like she's just totally fucking naked just another thought Sony is oh you're I'm just gonna upset you guys but so Sony has been talking about making a Sinister Six movie for some time like uh. the last six years or so well wait listen to me so they've got Venom and they've got Black Cat and they're probably Silver Sable think, and Silver Sable and they're probably thinking like 
you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, really popular movie. And Suicide Squad, I could see what they were thinking, but they got that wrong. We Phil, can do it better with the Sinister me. Six. You're Venom fucking... was in the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yes. There, yeah. They don't know Let's, that, though. What? No, we, <laughs> we've been taking notes. Uh, we hired a comic book fan. He gets us coffee. <laughs> So uh, let's let's uh, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I don't have anything else to say about this one. You know, we'll see what happens here. So uh, item number two on the list is uh, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets got its first kind of like full length trailer. Um, it's uh, the movie's based on a like very old French comic um, that was super popular, super influential on a ton of sci fi works like Star Wars, most notably. Uh, it is set to hit theaters this July, and it's going to be um, helmed by the director of The Fifth Element. Uh, so, you know, great guy with a pretty good uh, sci-fi track record. He also did Lucy with um, Scarlett Johansson earlier this year. So, you know, not not infallible. But, um, you know, basically, if he has his way, his plan is to make this be a trilogy based on, um, you know, the it was like Valerian is just like a, a pretty long-running sci-fi series. So there's tons of source material to pull from. Um, so what did you guys think of the trailer? Yeah, I think it's dope. That's I've, I've been a fan of that trailer, uh, since the first one. Um, I, yeah, I think it looks good even before I knew it was, uh, you know, a comics property. Yeah. And like this big, huge influential property, no less. You ever see the fifth element, by the way? Yeah. I love the fifth element. We, yeah. Like we have eyes and a heart. Of course we have. <laughs> Uh, the first trailer for the movie, I thought was really awful because it was like, it it, it was it, it felt like um, it felt like a uh, it felt schizophrenic as hell, and I'm like, I don't know anything about this. Like, I don't get like not like there's the the impression I have is when it comes to like fantasy and science fiction, when you put the universe as something as like weird or big or very very new and novel you need something very grounding in it for the for the viewer or reader to be able to relate to as you navigate through this very new setting sure yeah and that trailer your peter quills your philip j fries yeah and that yeah and that trailer the first trailer was like this all just feels like a mess but this trailer was better i mean the first one was a teaser and like it very much felt like a teaser and, like, that works when it's a property that you're familiar with, and you can just be like, oh, look, parademons, you know? Like, but when it's a thing that is, like, not a known property to American audiences, like, I agree with you. I feel like maybe fans of Valerian might have gotten something out of that, but, like, how many diehard Valerian fans are there right now, you know? At least in the States, you know? Um, but, yeah, I'm with you. I thought the second trailer, I'm both of you guys, I thought the second trailer was really good. Uh, I mean, it, it focused on the human characters, you know? It focused on Valerian and, um... Laurelin, I think, or Laureline was the woman's name. Um, also, Kale, real quick, can you look up the actress who's playing Laureline? Because I recognize Cara, her. Cara Devine, I think her name is, or something. Cara like Devine. Because uh, I, I don't, I recognize, I, I recognize her, but I don't know from what. I'd love to like, go check out the IMD page real quick. Yeah, that's uh, she was the uh, the sorceress in um, yeah. Enchantress, Suicide, oh, Suicide Squad. In Enchantress, right? Okay, she was in Suicide Squad, right? So, um, Paper Towns. Yeah, that's that was a huge uh, teenage uh, uh, preteen chick flick type movie. So I mean, like, I I definitely really like the look of this. Like, it has a really like 
really wide array of colors being shown. Like the palette is really interesting. It's not just like, you know, your typical like drab kind of like generic looking sci-fi world. Like it very much looks like it comes from a comic. Um, we saw a lot of really interesting and diverse alien species. So it looks like they're going to be kind of doing a lot of traveling. Like I killed off camera before we were talking about it. And like you said that a lot of people like are saying, Oh, it seems like this could be like the new star Wars. And like, I mean, well, Star Wars borrows so much from Valerian. Um, so, you know, I, I'm interested, man. I really looks like, I feel like this is something that might really resonate with people, you know? And, uh, it's definitely gotta be interested to go check out the comics. See, like, I was already inclined to check them out just cause I had read a lot about them and, you know, like they seem like this really cool little, like relic of, of sci-fi history, but like after seeing some of the visuals, like come to life and everything, I'm like, man, I I really want to go check this out yeah yeah i agree so yeah uh i can't wait to see more i'm glad that it's so close you know like it's cool that it took until now for us to like really get this first big trailer it's only like three months out so looking forward to it okay um so moving right along uh item number three on the list is the cw has uh teased their new black lightning show with a teaser image of um jefferson pierce aka black lightning um we got like a full kind of character poster for him uh, we learned a little bit more about, like, the show's production, so, like, despite the fact that, um, Greg Berlanti is, uh, a producer on, like, some of the, like, Fox Arrowverse, or the CW's Arrowverse stuff, uh, Black Lightning is being produced by Fox, and even though it's gonna air on the CW, they're saying they, they have no plans for it to cross over with any of the other shows right now, um, Berlanti had a quote where he said, uh, quote, I don't think so. If we're lucky enough that this exists, um, or I'm sorry, if we're lucky enough that that this exists, that the show exists, I don't think those worlds will cross over. But um, because like the the pilot moved from Fox to CW, and like the exact same thing was said about Supergirl, like I don't think it's probably you know unlikely that this will happen. Just doesn't seem like they have any concrete plans for it right now. Um, and so that's such a yeah, that seems like such an asinine thing. Like again, yeah. again with like the the Spider Man thing, and like like they they built this universe, and they they watched even Supergirl, uh, you know, almost completely tank on CBS, and then they moved her to the CW where she's, you know, more accessible and she's thriving. To, yeah, there. to you know, she's more accessible to her audience, and she can interact with the other characters. Like it makes absolutely no sense that they wouldn't make this a crossover. For a character who almost nobody knows about anyway. Right. That's my thing is like this character is like so for those of you who don't know uh, Black Lightning was created in like the mid 70s. Uh, he was DC's first African-American superhero. Um, he was a member of the Justice League. He like was on one of Batman's teams and stuff. So it's like he's got some. What's that? The Outsiders. The Outsiders. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so it's like he's got some history to him, but I don't feel like he's a character that most people know. Um, especially like not to, you know, like generalize, but I feel like there are a lot of African American superheroes with electricity powers so much that it's like kind of a joke trope. So it's like, I feel like he's a super not known like property here. So I, I really, I'm with you, Kale. Like, I feel like not putting him on, like if he's going to be on the CW in the same, like, you know, atmosphere as those other shows, why wouldn't you do a crossover just to, like, get some attention on him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Two of those 
joke tropey black characters with electricity powers are actually his daughters uh thun- thunder thunder and lightning oh <laughs> then there's static shock and uh electro from the ultimate universe Yep, and then um, in uh, <laughs> I've talked about it a lot, but in Mark Wade's Irredeemable, um, there's literally like there's a I forget his name, but there's a, a character who's a black character with like lightning superpowers, and like he makes jokes about the fact that it's like, oh, another black superhero with electricity powers, of course. <laughs> it's a weird thing, but it's definitely like it's definitely a trope. Um, it's weird that so many of them are like owned by DC too. It's like what you guys couldn't think of like a second set of powers. <laughs> that's cool I, I i'm all about having more racial diversity and and any kind of adaptations of comic book stuff but can't be ass bothered with cw shit yeah that's the thing is like i'm not gonna watch this i'm glad it exists and like it's definitely cool to see like an african-american superhero like leading his own show on like you know basic cable or whatever um or not cable network television but, um, so yeah, I mean, like, this is cool, but we're not really into those shows, so, I mean, I don't expect us to talk about it. I just wanted to give it a bump, because pretty cool. And, you know, if you are into those shows, go check it out, support it. Um, I'm sure it'll be of similar quality. Uh, yes, sir. Alright, so, uh, next item on the list is, uh, there's gonna be a Batgirl movie coming out, and as of right now, it seems as though Joss Whedon is attached to, uh, write, direct, and produce the as of yet untitled Batgirl film. So before before Phil jumps in, <laughs> I'm shut up. I'd like to get through the. I'm gonna do what Sean does. I'm gonna get through the story and then we can talk about it. And Phil can share his garbage opinions, which are shared by no one. Oh, that's not what I was gonna say. I was just gonna say our immediate <laughs> network had a million opinions on this subject for oh, okay. some apparent to... fucking reason. <laughs> um. Yeah. So okay. So the movie uh is. There's no, like, release date or anything like that. Like, currently, it seems like Joss is still, like, in conversation about it, but it seems as though it's... I don't think it would have been announced like this if it wasn't pretty close to being uh, tied up. But anyway, uh, the movie's going to be part of the extended DCU. Um, It's going to be, apparently, the article from Variety that leaked this um, said that the movie is supposed to be based on, like, the original Batgirl story back from 1967, which unveiled Barbara Gordon as, like, you know, the daughter of of Commissioner Gordon, and she became Batgirl on her own. She ran into Batman and Robin, all that stuff. Um, the original story is called The Million Dollar Debut of Batgirl uh, by Gardner Fox and Carmine Infantino. Infantino. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, let's... Personally, I, I'm excited about this in a way that I don't get excited about DC movies just because I like the Avengers. Um, I like... I feel like Joss Whedon is definitely one of those directors where it's like, he's a comics guy. You know, like, he has been a comics fan his whole life. He's written comics... Um, I don't think, like, I, I, I think a lot of people are attaching the whole, like, oh, he's great at doing female characters and everything to this, and, like, that's, you know, true, at least to an extent, but I'm more excited about this just because I like the idea of, like, a comics guy with a good track record, in my opinion, Phil, um, picking up this property, so... I, I'm cautiously optimistic as I am with everything with the DCU, but, like, I, all right, I guess I'm actually not cautiously optimistic about most of their movies, but this one I am. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I would even, uh, I would even temper my cautious optimism with dread because of the Killing Joke storyline. Um, I know even as much as much fear as the the Whedon announcement uh, caused in our in our network, we we even had a little bit of disagreement 
about the killing joke. And um, yeah, and I do want to get back to that backlash in a minute. But yeah, yeah please finish your thought. I, yeah, I, I just uh, I I and I'm I'm not one to say that I don't like the Killing Joke or that it's a bad story. I just I don't like that it's been. Sh- I feel like it's been shoved down our throats since Oracle's existence. Pretty much. I, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. I think it's, it's, I, I like that story. Like I'm a defender of it, but, um, I definitely think it's one of the stories that's a little overtold. Yeah. Yeah. But that being said, um, I don't think we're, I mean, like based on what we just read in the article, right? Like, I don't think that's even on the table right now. Like, I, I think if that does happen, like it won't be for several, like there would be a few background movies before that. And like, you know, whatever. Um, not to mention in this DCU, like, I'm of the opinion that the Joker that we've met is Jason Todd. So it's just like, I feel like we're in such a different setup that, like, the killing joke doesn't necessarily fit here. And I don't think they really want to make Batgirl Oracle if she can be Batgirl, you know? It's like, they want her to be an action hero, I think. I don't think they're gonna shove her in the background after they establish her, you know? Especially if they have Joss Whedon attached and they can get him to do, like, a trilogy of Batgirl movies or whatever. They're gonna do that. Sure. You know? Sure. All right, all right, Phil. Let's hear it. <laughs> so here we go. The, uh, my immediate reaction was, "Oh, Joss Whedon isn't very good." But then apparently that was a very pervasive opinion throughout the internet, and I was surprised to see that. I was like, I thought everyone liked Joss Whedon. Well, I think a lot of the young quote unquote woke kids uh, don't like Joss Whedon because he's not woke enough for them. His his brand of feminism is too old school. <laughs> They dislike him for different reasons from me. I just don't think he's very good at directing things. Uh, but they, oh man, Pete, Pete got entrenched in like in a in a verbal warfare from some people. Yeah, and it wasn't even like I like I'm not even like this huge Joss Whedon fan. Like I really like Avengers, and I watched Buffy when it was on TV when I was a kid. Like I've never seen Firefly. I've never seen uh, Angel or any of those. Shows. I'm not like this Joss Whedon fanboy. It's just like I don't. Like, seeing young kids, like, uh, young kids sounds, like, very condescending. They're not really kids. They're in college, though, and, like, they're younger than me. Um, And then, like, kind of tearing him down or, like, trying to paint him as this, like, negative figure who's trying to, like, co-op feminism and stuff like that is just, like, really disingenuous portrayal of the man, I think. Like, the dude's 52, and, like, his years as, like, his year as, like, or his period as, like, a trailblazing person in feminism are, like, way behind him for sure. And, like, he also never claimed to be that. Like, he made this great, great female-led story in Buffy, and it resonated with, you know, young women and, and, and it, uh, you know, people in the LGBT community, stuff like that. And, like, they, we are the ones who, you know, put it as this great feminist work, you know? And, yeah. like, yeah, there have been better things since then. There are people more forward-thinking than Joss working now. And that's all great. But, like, those people probably grew up watching Buffy, you know? And, like, I don't think it's right to... It, it reminds me of the conversation we had around Killing Joke, where it's like, I feel like we have this tendency in the modern era to, like, come at these older works with this, like, very, like, modern privileged position of, like, oh, we've advanced so far, so these things are aggressive. And, like, well, they're not. They're just of their time. You know, they're time capsules. Yeah, like, yeah, like, I like I never saw Buffy, but, like, I li- I've listened to a lot of discourse about it and a lot of, like, you know, discussion about it in, like, writing rooms and and 
like it's it's places you know it's like a, it's like one of the like stepping stones of like modern feminist tv like you know it's not it's certainly yeah, not sure. the best but it's you know one of the ones that was the best of its time and it's part of the reason that stuff you know that that the stuff we have now can exist Buffy proved that, like, you could make a, a fantasy action show with a female cast. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, all, like, all of the main characters are women, you know? Like... L- listeners, take this opportunity to uh, get a cup of tea as three white males are going to tell you all about feminism. Yeah, right? Well, you know what, man? That's what happens when Sean and Mark aren't here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm not, like, trying to, you know, I'm not trying to, like, tell anyone how to feel about feminism. You know, it's like, that's not my place. But I'm just, like, you know, I think everyone has to kind of come to terms with what that means for themselves, right? And, like, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like there's nothing to be gained by tearing down, like, the stepping stones or the things from the past. Like, the, the, critique them, sure, but, like, to try and demonize... Joss Whedon as like some kind of asshole is just seems really disingenuous to me. So there's like some thoughts. Um, I'm sure a lot of people would rather see a woman director make a Batgirl movie, like just from like a, you know, you'd rather have a lady tell a story about a lady. I think that's but, totally legitimate. But I guess this is something Joss Whedon wants to do. This is something he's spearheading, right? But then you you gotta think that at some point people are going to say, well, why isn't this a Cassandra Kane movie? Why isn't she Asian for more uh, diversification in Hollywood? Like, yeah, I think that's got to come up soon too, right? I, I don't think so because it's specifically a Barbara Gordon story. I Yeah, I know, but you, you people are going to say like, well, why can't this be this? Cause I think people some people will. Iron Fist. Yeah, you know some I mean? people will do that for sure. There, there will inevitably be some people who make that case, but I don't think it's going to be like a major problem. Because like when you think Batgirl, you think Barbara Gordon. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think the comparison to Iron Fist would work. I, I don't know. I'm just saying. I, I feel like that's going to happen at some point. Maybe so. Yeah, maybe. Maybe so. The blowback. And like you know, there's going to be blowback for anything like this. It's like I feel like you know, for every person that is out there being like yeah like this is so cool you know Joss Whedon's a great director or whatever go like there's gonna be people that are gonna complain about it or whatever that's totally fine and that's the thing is like I I guess my issue and why I like felt the need to insert myself in that debate (laughs) was because I I don't I didn't see and I'm not gonna call out friend of the show who posted this thing but him and the people that he that were agreeing with him were attacking Joss Whedon's like character and like him as a person versus like not liking him as a choice for the director, you know? And like and I it was just in a way that really didn't seem very fair to me, you know? And like I don't know. That's why I got into it. Again, it's like I'm not I'm not this like huge Joss Whedon fan or anything, you know? It's Stan. Like, I'm not like a mo yeah, Stan. I got called a fucking Joss Whedon Stan. It's like please Roman Polanski yeah, and Woody Allen are shitty fucking guys, but they make very good movies. What the hell is a stan? So I'll explain to you because I didn't know either and I had to look it up. Um, so a stan is like I'm assuming pulled from the Eminem song Stan, and it's supposed to just mean like an obsessive fan or whatever, like someone who like has like you know gets like all up in arms or whatever when you talk shit about someone. A zealot. Yeah, I can't keep up with these kids and their slang either. <laughs> 
front, like, there's Ratchet, and then now they're attacking people named Stans. Like, Kale's the grandpa of the I'm show. So old. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if Joss Whedon's a crappy guy. Maybe he is. I haven't done enough, like, reading about him, but, like, that doesn't affect the quality of a film. Like I just said, Woody Allen and Roman Polanski, literal terrible humans, and they make very good films. Sure, absolutely. Brian Singer. Also, it's just like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Brian Singer, seemingly another terrible guy. Yeah, absolutely. Also, it's just like, I don't know, man. I guess that's also kind of the thing, right? It's like people are like, oh, like, like Joss Whedon like had a falling out with one of the actresses who worked on Buffy and then Angel, and people are like, see, he doesn't treat women well. And it's like, where he had a personal dispute with one of the several people he worked with. You know, it's like, why is it? Like, it feels like you're reaching. You know what I mean? Like, Brian Singer's been accused of, like, molesting children. Like, Joss Whedon is not a bad person, whether or not his ideas about feminism are antiquated, because he's a 52-year-old man. You know, like, he's an old dude. You know, like, I don't know. It just, it just seems a little like, all right, guys, like, let's pick our battles here. You know, like. You're getting a Batgirl movie. Yeah, like, can we just be happy that we're getting a Batgirl movie helmed by the guy who made the most successful superhero movie of all time? Just point that out there. <laughs> all right, so moving along here, uh, item number five on the list is uh, the rumor has it that Justice League has a two-hour and 50-minute runtime. <sighs> yeah, it's been birthed from IMDb. Um, we haven't gotten, like, official confirmation here, but it's been circulating. Generally, IMDb stuff like this is pretty rock-solid, so... Um, seems like we're looking at an almost three-hour Justice League movie, which I am not looking forward to. That's so long. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, like, my favorite thing was, I think it was uh, in the movie pilot article that I, I read this in initially, the, the writer was like, you could fly from New York to Montreal and listen to two Drake albums back-to-back in the time it would take you to watch this movie. <laughs> it's like, dude, ugh, I don't know. And, like, BVS was long and bloated i mean like a lot of people say the three hour director's cut version is better and feels like it's paced better so you don't even notice the extra half hour maybe that's what they're trying to go for here but like i don't know man come on do we really need three hours of the justice league yeah well and i i think in that same article they say they're gonna set up barry allen and like his you know his dad's in prison and you know, his whole origin story, but then they're also going to set up uh, creating Cyborg. And boy, oh boy. It's like, really, are we going to, like, so we're going to shove two origin stories into this movie? Like, it, I don't know, it just seems crazy. Like, yeah, I, whatever. I mean, we all have, we're, we all agreed we're going to go see it, so, like, whatever, oh, I guess. Oh, I'm fucking that. I'm not seeing it. You're done? No. You're out? You I didn't even to. see Batman vs. Superman. You have to for work. You have to, <sighs> Phil. You have to. If I have to go, you have to For go. A, hey, no, not even that. If I have to go, you have to go. Uh, <laughs> I certainly don't want to watch this movie. God Zero interest. Damn it. Superman's like, not even in it, Phil. I know. I'm fucking dying on the inside. No, he's gonna show up. I know that makes he's it dying. worse. Um, my, something my brother said to me last night because the whole thing about Matthew Vaughn directing a, a Superman sequel. He's like, I bet it'll be a. X-Men Origins Wolverine and Logan situation and I kept saying I fucking hope so dude I would love that that'd be great but I wouldn't hold your breath I fucking hope so uh, so I mean, you guys are gonna make me see Justice League yeah look Sean's making me see it like we Sean's <laughs> taking all of us I'm 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 going I'm we'll I'll 
you come to me, and then we'll drive to New York and go see it with them. Sean is going to like walk out of the theater and be like, you know what? That was okay. I didn't hate it as much as I thought, and the four of us are going to be like, literally be dead on the ground. Dude, I can't wait for that review episode when it's Sean being like, I thought it was alright, and we're just like, fuck this movie. You know what? That's a or, long time coming. An no, episode you know where really it's someone I else back really to hope- a corner. I really hope it's so good that we all have to eat our words. Oh, yeah. Like, I really Absolutely. do. That'd be incredible. It would be so funny. Yeah. Like, like, I would be so ecstatic. Don't get me wrong. I love the Justice League. I love the DC stable yep. of characters. I would Same. love for this movie to be something special. I don't believe it will. All right. So, moving on, moving right along here. At number six on the list is uh, Marvel's Vice President of Sales. Uh, David Gabriel was recently interviewed by the site icv2.com and he talked about uh kind of the major market shift that we saw in 2016 we've discussed it a couple times in the show here uh for the longest time marvel was uh kind of up and up and up and had been dominating for i mean like at least two or three years now basically since 2014 and um we saw dc really take a major piece of the market back um as you guys may maybe know, Marco's got spreadsheets on all this stuff. This is a thing Sean really wants to talk about. I really imagine we'll probably do a full topic on it in the future when we can get the whole uh, group together. But um, it was very topical this week, so we decided we're going to address it anyway. Um, the major takeaway from this, I mean, you can check out the whole interview. We'll link to it below. Yeah, I can't imagine that there's not going to be more blowback from this, too. Right, right. And again, like there's sales figures, there's stuff he said about DC that's worth talking about. There's two other articles to pour through. Um, so there's a lot to unpack here. And we didn't want to make this the focus of the show without Marco and Sean. So again, uh, we're going to comment on kind of the biggest piece of news to come out of this. And then we'll see what happens in the future. So again, you can check out the entire interview and then the two companion pieces that were released along with it to get kind of a full picture of David's thoughts on the industry. Um, and all that stuff, uh, you go to the description below if you're on YouTube or SoundCloud and check that stuff out. If you're on iTunes, go to one of those places and find the link. Uh, or again, just go to icv2.com and find it. It's pretty easy to, to come across at this point. It's 2017. So anyway, do the work. Yeah, right? Google it. Um, so the pull quote that's been making waves uh, was David's comments on Marvel's new generation of diverse superheroes, which is something we've talked about a lot on this show. Um, so... Uh, In response to the question from ICV2, um, quote, now the million dollar question, why did those tastes change? So this was in relation to why Marvel thinks that we saw this kind of big titanic shift here, right? So his response uh, was, quote, I don't know if that's a question for me. I think that's a better question for retailers who are seeing all publishers. What we heard was that people didn't want any more diversity, that they didn't want female characters out there, that we heard, um, that's what we heard, whether we believe that or not. I don't know that that's really true, but that's what we saw in sales. We saw the sales of any character that was diverse, any character that was new, our female characters, anything that was not a core Marvel character, people were turning their nose up against. That was difficult for us because we had a lot of fresh, new, exciting ideas that we were trying to get out and nothing new really worked. It was the old things coming back in that period, three books in particular, Spider-Man Renew Your Vows that had Spider-Man and Mary Jane married, that worked. The Venom book, that worked. And the Thanos book worked. You can take... Uh, Oh, sorry about that. Uh, You can take what you want out of who might be enjoying those three books, but it's definitely a specific type of comic reader, a comic book collector that really liked those series, uh, those three series. So then um, following the big backlash, uh, David followed up with IVC2 and uh, provided a follow-up statement, which sounds far more PR packaged, but I'm going to read it to you guys uh, here. 
Um, so he corrected his statement there and said, discussed candidly by some of the retailers at the summit, we heard that some were not happy with the, f- the false abandonment of the core Marvel heroes. And con- contrary to what some said about characters, quote, not working, the sticking factor and popularity for a majority of these new titles and characters like Squirrel Girl, Miss Marvel, The Mighty Thor, Spider-Gwen, Miles Morales, and Moon Girl continue to prove that our fans and retailers are excited about these new heroes. And let me be clear, our new heroes are not going anywhere. We're proud and excited to keep introducing unique characters that reflect new voices and new experiences into the Marvel Universe and pair them with our iconic heroes. Then he followed up saying, we've also been hearing from stores that welcome and champion our new characters and titles that they want more. They've invigorated their own customer base and helped them grow their stores because of it. So we're getting both sides of the story, and the only upcoming change we're making is to ensure that we don't lose the focus on our core heroes. So again, you want to hear the rest of David's talks, please go check out the um, the interview. We'll have the link in the description below. We'll talk about it more in the future. But um, what do you guys think about this? Ugh, where do where you even start? Like, okay. It's a lot to unpack. So, yeah. So, I I guess, like, for me, like, you know, his... So, I'll start with, you know, uh, what they heard was people don't want diversity. They don't want female characters. Well, in 2016, the female characters you gave us were Gwenpool and Deadpool the Duck. Like, and then... You know, and then your your Civil War two storyline was garbage. Well, it was also not headed by any of these new characters. You yeah. Know? Uh, and and then all of the titles with all of these new characters were tied into to Civil War two. So what what are we supposed to think? Of course, they didn't sell. Your event was garbage, and nothing came out of it. So it killed the momentum that those books already had going yeah like champions came out of uh civil war 2 and that was like i love that um what did i i think i talked about that in the in our first episode or something yeah first or second one um miss marvel miles morales nova uh the young cyclops and and vision and the amadeus cho hulk um very grounded you know sidekick book or, or young hero mm-hmm. teen book, um, yeah, like a Teen Titans kind of vibe. Yeah, uh, it came out. It was the best thing to come out of Civil War two, and like, I, that's so that's so frustrating to me. Like, yeah, it didn't work because you made books that suck. Like, yeah, and I mean, like, I think obviously we saw some backpedaling in this like follow up statement that he made, but I think even in the original statement, like he says that he's skeptical about that actually being a real reason. Like, or maybe this is just like, again, it's like we were talking about this off camera the other day. It's kind of like that anecdotal, like echo chamber language of like, if you're constantly looking at comic forums and reddits and stuff like that, you're going to see the vocal minority who are like, you know, oh, I don't read these books anymore because I don't want to read about these female characters or minority characters. But I think in reality, it's probably more close to what Sean has been arguing for episodes and episodes that it's more people who are upset about the abandonment of the classic characters more so than the introduction of these new characters. Uh, maybe, like, I don't know. See, Marvel has the same editors and writers for the most part, collectively. And so Marvel hasn't been making good books in a while. And so when they push out more books that people don't know anything about and people don't buy them and they get panned, 
It's like, is it really surprising? And then meanwhile, you know, their idea of um, adding diversity is doing like uh, two Captain Americas, two Thors, two, three, four Spider-Men, three, three-ish Spider-Women, three Iron Men, like just putting a bunch of people in big recognizable IP and making them of different ethnicities, genders, and backgrounds and being like, hey, you like this, right? And then, always, and then scratching your head, like, why isn't this working? But that worked up until late 2016. And that's the thing he, he comments on, too, is that, like, there was no indication that interest in these characters was waning, and, like, they felt kind of blindsided by it. And I think there's probably something to what Kale's saying, is that there was a, a noticeable downtick in the quality of the books. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at too. It's like it has nothing to do with like them being female characters or or minority characters. It's like a the the characters themselves are not original for the most part. Kamala Khan is the only original character to come out of it. And even you know, it's and like, even she's got the name of a a former of, you know, a, of yeah, someone else. a legacy character. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and maybe she's relevant enough that she could take on her own name now. That could be a thing. But like Kamala is the only like superhero with a unique power set who's like not literally just a younger minority version of an older hero you know riri williams williams is a black iron is a young female black iron man miles morales is a you know mixed race spider-man amadeus cho is an asian american hulk it's like these are not they're not new you know it's just more of the same stuff that we've gotten over and over again and like i get older fans having that like well you know like i like I like Bruce Banner. You know, I don't I don't want a new Hulk. You know, we already have a Hulk. And like I you know, we've talked this like ad nauseum, so I don't want to like keep circling the same topic, but you know. Yeah, but like if it's good, it's good, you know, like legacy characters have worked in the past and you'll still have a large like Wally West right now, people a lot of people bitched for years that they wanted Wally back and they got him back finally, but like you know, Barry Allen's Flash was selling good too. Like, if you make something quality, people will read it. But uh, yep. an- another thing that uh, David Gabriel mentions is that, uh, you know, later on in this interview, that it's very possible that there's just too much, like across right, the board. Yeah, and uh, that's I mean, what I was trying to say by like too many of these versions of these characters. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's totally true too. And I think also just a, a sheer volume of books, because like he even says that like he he makes the the point that it's like not just Marvel that suffered in this time. Like a lot of indies saw like a downtick there. He like attributed it partly to like the economy and like some of these other things. Like it, it I, the thing that I think is like this quote got a lot of attention because I think of what it might mean for Marvel in the future, but, like, the interview paints a much broader picture of what he thinks the overall problems are with how they've been publishing things, and that this new initiative is something they've been planning for, like, six months, you know? Like, so... Yeah, we'll see what they do. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, just one one thing I want to uh, just throw out there uh, from everybody's favorite website, Bleeding Cool. Uh, so it says, uh, this is uh, probably, like, their one of their summing up um, uh, paragraphs. And it says, uh, quote, for now, this is just confirmation straight from the horse's mouth that Marvel doesn't see diversity as a winning sales strategy anymore. And regardless of what individual persons working for Marvel may feel, Marvel as a corporate entity cares far more about winning sales strategies than it does about diversity and always did. It just so happens 
that for a time, the two were one and the same. According to David Gabriel, they no longer are. Oh, that wasn't even the quote I wanted to read. Oh, well. Uh, (laughs) All of this to serve as justification for the meat and potatoes, not a relaunch, make mine marvel, that Bleeding Cool warned you was coming. Hey, Bleeding Cool, shut up. We've talked this subject into the ground, you know? Like, I'm sure Sean and Mark are going to have hot takes on this subject, so we do our next episode next week. I'm sure there'll be more to say, but I think we've... I think we've beaten the subject into the ground uh, sporadically over 23 episodes. So, item number seven on the list is uh, Comics Alliance uh, has unfortunately closed. Um, The news came by way of a tweet from former editor-in-chief Andrew Wheeler, who said, quote, I'm sorry to report that today is the last day for the current Comics Alliance team. Town Square Media has elected to place the site on hiatus. Uh, So then former assistant editor Ellie Collins followed up saying, quote, hiatus, unquote, is the word the company that fired us with two days notice would like us to use, but don't hold your breath about waiting for a return. And then she went on to say, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunities at Wheeler and at M. Luke Brown uh, gave me at Comics Alliance. It was a genuinely great place to work. So uh, then we got some follow-ups from... Susanna Polo, who is the entertainment editor at Polygon and also the founder of the Mary Sue, where she said, super, super sad to hear about Comics Line shuttering a great site with a focus that served a vitally important role in the medium. She went on to say, if you're a Comics Alliance writer looking for a place to pitch, I'm always looking for more experienced comics commentary for Polygon. So if you're a fan of Comics Alliance, uh, I, I would recommend you go on Twitter or wherever, you know, follow the people that you like that were writers there and see where they're going to end up. Because it seems like some of them might land at Polygon. A lot of them seem to be getting out of comics journalism, moving independent. So the best thing you can do in this situation is follow the writers and the creators that you that you like and keep supporting them. Um, and, you know, our, our condolences to Comics Alliance. I know Kale is a fan of their stuff. And, uh, you know, we're, we're sad to see any major publication that focuses on comics shudder. And, you know, um, we're obviously upset or, you know... Uh, empathizing with the people who have been displaced by the move so uh yeah it's also worth noting that uh, some of the people who uh you know have been displaced and you know were paying their bills with uh you know their writing from comics alliance have patreons um so if you're able and if you uh you know really enjoyed uh some of the writing you might take a, a second to look look some of those up um unfortunately i don't have any names in front of me but um we can include them in the the description yeah we'll see what we can do Okay, so that is going to take us into our main topic of the show, which is uh, comic book journalism and some of the challenges, some of the pitfalls of it. Um, Each of us has some experience working in comic book journalism at some capacity. I study journalism in college. Uh, Phil, like, works kind of associated to the journalism industry. So um, I wanted to kind of use the shuttering of Comics Alliance as an opportunity to, like, kind of tackle this discussion a little bit because... I mean, personally, I always perceive Comics Alliance as being very healthy, you know, as being one of the one of the sites that seemed kind of untouchable. And um, I was surprised to see them fold like this. You know, it seemed like they did pretty strongly. Yeah, it seemed like it was in the same tier as like Newsarama and CBR. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. And I mean, now that we know that Comics Alliance is closed, who knows how strong they are? Right, and that's kind of the thing I wanted to talk about was, um, you know, I know, like Phil and I both have a little bit of insider experience and in that we both work at CBR, and I know I can speak from personal experience that 
Um, while the the vast majority of their content is focused on comics, they also have like a decent amount of like general pop culture stuff. They talk about the movies. They you know they do the lists uh, and stuff that we work on. Like they're sometimes about cartoons and stuff. Um, so they definitely have a little bit more of a general focus angle for some of at least for some of their like um, you know just like featurey kind of content. I guess you could say. And, uh, you know, I really don't think it's possible for you to have a site that only talks about comics and sustain it in a major way, like as like a major web publication that has multiple employees and like an editorial staff and everything, just because like, when you really think about it, you know, we've talked about it a lot, like comics are a niche thing, you know, like there, there's definitely a big community of comics readers, but if even, you know, a sizable portion of those people don't visit your website, like you're you're looking at a very limited number of people who are interested in reading comic specific content. I think it's hard enough for major cities to sustain multiple newspapers. Right. Exactly. You know, and I, I I think like looking at just like the numbers of like what the top selling comics do, right? Like there aren't millions and millions of people reading comics. It's hundreds of thousands. And I think that's like where you kind of see these, websites like again like comics alliance is like it even has comics in the name like cbr is cbr.com now and like yeah it stands for comic book resources but that's intentional you know that it is so that they can be a little more broad i think you know i i think that there's something to that yeah i think you're probably I mean, right there could be in terms of the name i think but comics alliance has a lot they had a lot they of had a lot of tv stuff a lot of tv right? stuff a lot of they, I mean, they focused on a lot of the films. They did the cosplay stuff, but um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's fair to say that Comics Alliance didn't focus on that stuff because they, they definitely did. Yeah, no, I, I guess I kind of like made two points and didn't make a distinction between them, so that's my bad. Um, yeah, I, I think like it's both of those things. It's not like, I do think like comics Alliance, even just based on the name, like they did do other stuff, but like the perception there is that they do comic specific stuff. And I always thought of them as like, that was kind of their big thing was that they did like meaty comics coverage, you know, it, it could be a case of the, it being a little saturated maybe, which is a bit surprising because <clears throat> the uh, niche medium has gotten more pop culture buzz the last, you know, five six seven years or whatever um but you know when it comes to like entertainment news with uh nerd shit we talk about cbr news rama but there's stuff like ain't it cool news and bleeding cool news like they don't cover comics specifically but i feel like most people when they want to look at comic shit they also want to tie it together with the adaptations and those are other options that are there so when you have a lot of high profile shit talking about this Maybe Comics Alliance is the one I got left behind. I don't know. Well, I think I think that's definitely what happened because I think like there's also the thing that you have to think about, like to your point about like those more like kind of general nerd news networks. Like you also have IGN that has a really huge comics desk. You also have uh, Polygon, which we just talked about earlier. Like they're looking to get some of these people and take them to write for Polygon. So it's like I feel like that pie shrinks even more if you're like a gamer who also reads comics. Like, you can get that same coverage on the place you're already going to for games coverage, you know? And and whatever, you know? And uh, 
yeah, I mean, like, that is seemingly what happened, I guess, is just that, like, Comics Alliance was one of the ones that, like, got lost in the shuffle or, like, just didn't quite have the numbers to support it, even though it was obviously pretty popular. Um, but, you know, you saw this a couple years ago with uh, video game outlets like this, you know, the increasing, like, shift towards, like, the relevance of YouTube and Twitch. Uh, we saw, like, um, publications like, you know, Nintendo Power or, like, OneUp.com, um, you know, like, EGM, like, sites or, or magazines, whatever, publications that have been around for a really long time, either totally coming apart or, like, getting absorbed by bigger companies you know like ign bought one up and took pretty much everybody from there that was relevant and brought them under the ign banner and stuff like that so it's like everything else like the more dearth of media entertainment and content the more everything saturated becomes i mean it's happening in the comic book industry as a whole this is there's so much to compete against um so how do you make a name in the noise you know yeah, and with the advent of social media where people are more likely to just, like, look at a headline that comes up on their newsfeed, then go on to a dot-com, it's, <clears throat> it's hard to compete against. And that's the problem, too, right, is, like, I think the big thing, too, is, like, Comics Alliance was, uh, in a lot of ways, a bastion of a bygone era. You know, the, the sites that are still doing that kind of coverage are few and far between, and there's a reason for it, you know? Like, that used to be the way you got news and stuff like that, because, like, not only did you not have avenues like YouTube or Twitch or, like, individual people with Patreons and their own dot-coms and stuff like that, like, that's definitely changed the game. But those people used to also be, like, gatekeepers to information in a way that they're not as much anymore. You know, like, now that you can have a direct line to Marvel or DC, like, Marvel can, you know, like, like, that one year where they didn't go to Comic-Con and they just threw their own event right and invite everybody out and it's like you hear about that shit in like variety and the new york times and time and all these big publications are talking about some of this shit now so it's like you're gonna be more likely to see an article from them or like the wall street journal or something than you are from comics alliance and unless you're a fan of comics alliance or you choose to follow them is there stuff even coming up for you if you're interested in it probably not and there's, a, you know, Bleeding Cool, CBR, all these other sites that are a little bigger than them that are going to come up first, you know? I've talked about this before, but I've, um, I've been involved in a lot of, in a lot of uh, like, mainstream journalism stuff. And, like, declining subscriptions, declining ratings, and, and things of that nature are things that almost every media outlet is dealing with across the board in this country. Yeah, Mark, um, most people are going independent nowadays. And, like, I, I really think we're seeing, like, a max exodus of fans there, too. Like, talent leaves these organizations that are failing, and the fans go with them. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that certainly helps. If a writer has some kind of brand recognition for their content, that certainly helps their career. Not everyone has that advantage, obviously, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm, on a macro, I think about the amount of changes that the New York Times has gone through in the last two years just to reinvigorate their their base because for all intents and purposes, New York Times is the biggest uh, non-television-based news in the entire country. And if they're struggling, you know, that should tell you everything you need to know about the state of journalism in this country. And on top of that, um, it's not just like the state of journalism as like the terms of revenue going to these big news sites um look at the advent of shit like breitbart you know like these opinion-based kind of blog websites info right 
Or like, like um, to talk about again, like someone who was like a, somebody from traditional media who made a Max Exodus, like Glenn Beck in The Blaze, you know? Yeah, like it's not like it's up. not unique. It's not unique to uh, like media or like, you know, like content about media, I should say, you know, like whatever. Like, yeah, it's classic journalism, too. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and or again, these kind of like pseudo journalistic people. Well, that's commentators. That's pun- we'll call them. Pundits. 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 Sure. Talking right, right. heads. Yeah, whatever. Pick pick your term. And that's and that's why I'm super curious because like the idea of journalistic integrity and ethics have been like championed for a hundred years. And there's plenty of instances where like obviously like yellow yellow journalism was occurring or whatever. But uh, in an age right now where sensationalism fucking sells because everything's click oriented, uh, the amount of misinformation disinformation that is able to permeate and percolate through the web and get you know. A lot of attention is the kind of shit that gets people like Donald Trump elected. Yeah, man. Well, and I think again, like to take it back to uh, independent content creation too, is like I think I think that's a huge like blade up up these sites' sides, you know? Because like you have some websites that I think have like definitely kind of caught up and realized that like in this day and age, like people are loyal to people, not brands. And um, I think at least when it comes to like content like if you're watching ign or whatever right and your favorite guy leaves and like that was the person making content that you enjoyed now you can follow them and go to where they go and it's like you might not ever go back to that website you know and it's like that's how it was for me it was like i used to go on ign every single day and then all the content creators that i liked there moved on and i moved on with them you know like like, that's like that with most most diehard comic book readers like the ones that have like been are in the weeds of the business like when you're a younger reader, a lot of people have like characters they want to get into, but after a long while, it's like, I like this artist, I like this writer, and I'm going to follow whatever title for whatever publication they work on. Yep, exactly. And again, I, I think we're we're at a place now where we see that with like media and content creation as well, where it's like, well, I trust this journalist, or I trust this reviewer, or whatever, so I'm going to go and look for their opinion wherever it is, you know, and like it doesn't matter, like so much that they're attached to like comics alliance per se you know and that's that's super curious because you're just looking for someone to uh reaffirm your opinions on things and i'm a i'm a guy who is i like, don't agree with that but we'll, well, we'll put a pin in that wait put a pin in that is that what you said i, I want to let you make your point before i disagree uh, I, don't, okay. I don't. I don't agree with that sentiment. That like that's the only thing people are doing. Well, I don't know if I even agree with what I'm saying. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm like I'm developing the thought as I go. You sure, know? sure. Yeah. Um, but when people gravitate toward a personality that they like, and I do this too. There's plenty of things, plenty of personalities that I like because I generally agree with what they're saying that I will continue to pursue whatever they write, uh, release video or, or audio wise. Um, but you're only further pushing yourself in the bubble of your own comfort, I think, because you're not really listening or reading or watching someone that you disagree with. And I think that's happening on macro possibly. Yeah. I think I would say like probably the vast majority of people are doing that, but I, I don't really think that's a difference, right? Because like the, the, flip side of that was that before you were following independent content creators where you can pick and choose who you want to go to for what 
it's on it's on you to seek out people that like well i generally agree with this person like if you're a viewer right like if you want to find a film guy i usually like the same movies as this guy so i should listen to his reviews because i'll be able to get good recommendations from him that's That's a value thing sure when it comes to like commentary and stuff like that personally i try to seek out a, a wide variety of opinions so that i can be like well i usually agree with this person but this guy i don't usually agree with but i think he's smart and i don't think he's combative so it's like he'll challenge my viewpoint and that's a kind of value thing that like you as the consumer of content need to do and that curation wasn't really happening at publications anyway because it's like the only like you look at the three major television news networks the least successful one is the one that tries to be fair and balanced and not lean left or right and that's you know but that's what i'm saying even in traditional media we don't have that division the new york times is liberal the washington post is liberal you know it's like breitbart is conservative you know and like they're not in a real newspaper but you know what i mean like the, the washington even post even the traditionals I mean, like, yeah, they're more conservative, but they're not, like, they're not super conservative. Like, I feel like a lot of conservatives don't see them as being conservative, I guess is the point I'm making. So, like, even in traditional media, you don't have that division that we're talking about that would be good. Or you do have that division, rather. You don't have a place where you get fair, balanced coverage where you have, well, here's the conservative view. Here's a, you know, whatever, a more liberal view, or let's actually try to synthesize both sides. Like, that doesn't really happen. You have people arguing for agendas, and they show their biases pretty frequently. Yeah, so I guess my only point there is that when we push further toward commentary-oriented media, where it's less about the brand and more about the personality, that only uh, reinforces that further, is what I'm saying. If you, the viewer, only seek out people who validate your opinion, though. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that if we assume that people will watch or read something that is more oriented with, on brand to their views. And they will. The next step is then following that individual personality who advocates what you believe in. And so I'm saying on mass, that seems to be the trend. Yeah, I would agree with that. But again, that is kind of a personal responsibility. It's like if you don't want to live in an echo chamber, you have to seek out other opinions and challenge your own views. And that's a thing you have to actively want to do, you know? What are you thinking, Kel? I, you know, I don't – and I'm I'm certainly guilty of this. I'm not saying that, you know, anyone um, – I'm not calling anybody out or, or – or, or, I don't know. I, I don't – I don't – as a general – as a general stance, I, I, I don't generally believe that people will go that extra step. Um, I, I don't. Um, Most people don't. Yeah, yeah. And that is a problem. You know, like, it, it sucks. But, like, I think the, the issue you run into a lot, too, is if you do actually have an organization that has a, a good, like, wide variety of opinions you just create division within that organization and it ultimately crumbles. Yeah. You know? And that's, and that's, yeah, that's, I mean, a lot of stuff that we, that has come up, especially this week in, in comics news and in, in regular news, uh, is just that so much, there's so many systemic problems. Like, um, you know, we, uh, at some point, uh, maybe it was Jess and I were, uh, we were talking about, um, the diamond distribution issue uh you know diamond sucks as a distributor like they'll skip over whole uh comic book shops and 
you know, they uh, will just forget to take stuff and uh, the, the retailers hate them and it's an antiquated system. Um, but I mean, it's the what, one we got. What else is there? Yeah. And so like, I don't know, like, yeah, for, for, for news, it's like, you know, I, I think it was Ted Koppel this week called out Sean Hannity and said, yeah, I think all of you guys are, are bad for America. You're all, uh, you know, you're, you're all just talking heads. You're all spouting opinions that, you know, only certain people agree with. You're not sending out facts or, you know, which, yeah, I think, I mean, it's a sy- systemic problem that we've created. Here's something for you guys to chew on. Um, I got in this argument with someone a couple of weeks ago, but basically I had lamented that I thought it was unfortunate that personalities like Alex Jones and Milo and Steve Bannon are household Miley, names. Miley Yiannopoulos for those. Yeah, yeah. That these guys are all household names now. And their argument was like, well, this is no less harmful than the amount of like entertainment and pop culture that people use to distract themselves with from real world issues. And I said, no, it's much worse. These people are actively like uh, rallying people to hate. You know what I mean? Like they're or actively people... spreading misinformation. Yeah, under the I... under the guise of journalism. Where it was something like TMZ culture. It's literally just a distraction. There's bad things associated with it, obviously. TMZ is an abhorrent publication. Yeah, it's bad journalism, without a doubt. But what, they're not actively feeding people misinformation and like trying to literally feed on their laden fears, their deep-laden fears. And, right, uh, yeah. And it's like, if they do spread misinformation, it's about things that don't matter, so it's kind of like, it's it's a rag. Like, no one should take TMZ seriously. Like, TMZ is a shock clickbait organization. Like, that's what they do, and they don't, they don't have any qualms about that. It's the d- things where you have these talking heads who are people that, like, are on legitimate news stations, and people are like, oh, this guy's on Fox News, he's a journalist. And it's like, no, he's a pundit. That's not the same thing. Like, opinions are not news. Yeah. And their argument was like, oh, they're pro- these people are provocateurs. That's their job. But, like, most people don't make that differentiation. Like, yeah, they're do- they're being deliberately provocative and trying to, like, arouse things from people. But, like, that's the problem. And that's why it's unfortunate these types of people are household right. names now. I mean, it is. It is a shame, you know? And, like, it's, it's tough because it's, like, it is – the national the national oh my gosh the natural conclusion to the situation we're in right now that's what i was trying to say yeah 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 like you're gonna have pundits on the extremes of both sides because there are just as many ridiculous like left-leaning kind of pundits like that i don't think that they're generally as harmful because they don't usually like they're not radicalizing people for violence they're radicalizing people to harass people on the internet yeah they're not they're not saying things like quote what's worse for your daughter to have feminism or cancer Right, exactly. And but that being said, like you do have uh people like um uh and please, dear God, I hate the people that hate this woman, so please don't try to lump me in with them. But uh <laughs> Anita, Anita, Sar- Anita Sarkeesian, right, is a very well known YouTuber. Uh Feminist Frequency is her channel and stuff like that. The, the cause and of I, like the gamer gate thing. Yeah, right. Uh, and it's like cause, ga- cause gamer in gate. quotes. Right, causing quotes. And I wanna say again like 
fuck everyone who's a part of Gamergate. Like, I'm not, like, that is not what I'm here to fucking say, right? But I think her content is bad. Like, a lot of times she makes claims that are sometimes baseless and sometimes are very, very, like, feel like they're reaching. You You're know? thinking like, they're erroneous. Yeah, right, exactly. And that's and that's not a, a, a value judgment on her as a person or anything like that. It's just, like, I feel like her content is hyperbolic to get a reaction out of people in the same way that the other stuff we're talking about is it's just about different shit you know and it's like it's ultimately harmless because she's fucking talking about video games you know and like tropes versus women and stuff like that and it's like that is not there's no damage that comes from that whereas the opposite end like you do see a lot like there's a lot of neo-nazis on youtube and a lot of like that very scary ideology out there and like I'm not saying that the left-leaning ideology is, like, good or okay or whatever, but it certainly feels or seems a lot less militant, um, you know? I mean, I mean, by definition, people who are, like, neo-Nazis are, like, extremely harmful because <laughs> their entire rhetoric is violent and, 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 and prejudice. Well, and again, like, you have people on the – and I don't want to get, like, too in the weeds about politics, but, like, you have people on the alt-right that distance themselves from Nazi Nazism or whatever but still spout ideology that's yeah. alarmingly similar, you know? So, like, I think the intele- intellectualization of that stuff is kind of the natural, like, end point of this because if there are people that feel that way, you're going to have pundits that want to put that opinion out there and people that it resonates with and it, it creates a community of them, you know? And I think – I don't think it's that this – I don't think these people or these attitudes are any more pervasive now than they've ever been. I think they're, you're just more aware of them. Yeah, or or that, or maybe, but that's kind of where I'm. Tr- that's like the, where this conversation train is going. Is the idea of like centralized news outlets where people where they become more uh, politicized, excuse me, and uh, and then they spiral into specific commentators and personalities that uh, people on mass begin to follow. Which leads to like the organization and rallying of of dangerous rhetoric. Basically, news becomes uh, the the train leaves from like central news to pundit oriented news, and that's something that's been permeating and developing for the last thirty years in entertainment journalism. Uh, when you have something rather innocuous like Comics Alliance or Comic Book Resources, where it's oriented on like you talk about the events that are coming up and the writers and what they're doing to making it more clickbait oriented because you need revenue for these websites. So you begin making lists, which is what Pete and I do. And you also create more articles headlining things like the diversification, the diversification in comics and how to like get more diversity in writers at like Marvel and DC. And that's heavily politicized the readership of these books. And stuff like Captain America is a Nazi. Yeah. Right. Or, or you know, um, the vice president of sales at Marvel says that, like, diverse, diverse characters are the reason that their books are failing, you know? And it's like, that's the kind of thing where it's like, well, that's not wholly true, but it's also not wholly untrue. And the reality is, like, you weren't going to go visit or click on that website today unless you read that headline. And that's the problem, right? Is everybody wants to complain about clickbait journalism. They want to complain about clickbait head, he, uh, headlines and stuff like that. But that's what you fucking click on, you know? And it's like, you say that you don't want that, but you are the ones who click on it. We know that's where the numbers are, you know? So if all the people that complained about clickbait journalism actually went to dot coms and read the fucking valuable pieces that were there, 
or we're willing to pay for news because that's another thing no one's willing to do. They want news to be better, but they don't want to pay any money for it. They want news to be a free service, but it needs to be on this pedestal and it needs to have these perfect ethics and morals and stuff. And it's like, all right, but you need to support that then. You know, like they need to make this clickbaity shit because otherwise they fucking fold. Same as same as comics. You know, Miss Miss Marvel's on the chopping block right now because nobody buys it. Nobody's buying it. So you can say you want those things all you want, but unless you put your money where your mouth is, and that's why I think Patreon and stuff like that is so great because there is a diehard who will support individuals or these pundits or whatever, and that's why you get the support there. Is like I love this person, I want them to keep making content. I can give them a dollar a month, and if enough people do that. You know, you you can support a one-man organization or a few people organization or whatever. That's what I think we're going to see. I think we're going to see a max exodus from these big conglomerate sites to small pockets. You know, groups like ours, you know, that like we are pundits, you know, like we're not really journalists. We're not out here breaking these stories, but people might be getting all their comics news from people like us. So like we're a part of that chain, whether we like it or not. Possibly. uh, One thought that I have is on how BuzzFeed changed the game. Yo, BuzzFeed gets so much hate, but, like, man, they are one of the most impressive media organizations in ever, like... Yeah, well, they they... create a lot of shit content, and I say that, and I'll never work for them, I guess, because of that. (laughs) But, just because I said that, I mean. Um, But my point is... I'd work there! Yeah, I would, too, but I'm saying I wouldn't work there because they would listen to me say that, and, well, fuck this guy. But... They changed everything. I do like. I went to this thing when I was in college, right? Like I studied journalism. I went to the co- uh, college uh, media convention, right? And I listened to a bunch of people from BuzzFeed talk. And one of the things they were talking about is just like, why can't you have content? Like, why can't you have throwaway? Like, here's 16 funny fucking dog gifts alongside the top news of the day. That's what like young people want. And it's like that democratization of that stuff is not a bad idea. But they they have some you know not great practices. Well, yeah, and it's sloppy. I mean it's the same as uh you know what's her Lauren Duca who was on uh, Tucker Carlson and his show. And he she was trying to talk about, you know, Trump and, and the rise of Trumpiness. And, and you know, but she works for Teen Vogue. And so he wanted to talk about... I mean, yeah, Teen Vogue's been like, talking about politics a lot lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know? And, and he just wanted to, you know, talk about Teen Vogue and, like, you know, why why should she, you know, get to talk about... Trump when she talks about thigh high boots and it's like well people can do both like they're not mutually exclusive right exactly right like we can be intellectuals but also talk about things that are innocuous like every like that should be how all people are right people are like that why can't your writing be like that yeah i i met a high profile director of advertising for a major news outlet i'm not gonna say which one um but he told me the reason why he left his website or company is because the his bosses wanted to like make their major major headlines like uh te- look you'll have look you'll have to watch this cute kitten video on a day where it was like Saddam Hussein was like murdered kind of thing right right where, and that like as a like as a journalist blew like he's like I'm not doing this it's terrible and he was talking about how like does got worse and worse because like basically whoever would give his company the most money would get the headline of that of that company and like he said like sometimes they would get really like borderline racist or like just very unethical and even if he vetoed it because he was a high figure at this company they would do it anyway behind his back because that's the shit that gets 
money or like I mean it's it's all profit driven in that either you get the clicks or someone just gives you a bunch of money to put this shit on your page so that people see it. Right. Yeah. And you know, again, if if there was a better system to support or more people willing to support good, honest journalism, you wouldn't need those things. So um, we've gotten pretty in the weeds on this, so I, I want to wrap things up here. Um, any closing thoughts, you guys? Support public journalism. Support, yeah. I mean, support good journalism. Support good journalists. Um, support comics. Support. Support yeah. comics. And support, support the people that write about comics. Um, on that note, if you want to support the show, you can uh, share wherever you're listening, share the video, You know, get more pals out there, get involved. Uh, if you're on YouTube, like the video, subscribe to the channel. If you're on SoundCloud or iTunes, whatever, like it, give us a rating. Um, that'll really help us out. Uh, if you guys want to write in, you can uh, get us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. That's thecomicspals at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up anywhere on social media at thecomicspals. Join our Facebook group, any of that stuff. Um, come have a conversation with us. Let us know what you want to talk about on the show. You want to send in a random question of the week, fan art, any of that stuff. We'll read it on the air. You know, Please come, be involved, get engaged with us, have a conversation. Um, and with that, we're going to move on to plugs. And since I usually start, oh, well, make sure you uh, stay tuned and look for our two specials coming up on the Iron Thank Fist you. and WrestleMania. Yeah, this week we'll have three videos up instead of normal, three podcasts up instead of normal. Um, so please come, come back, check them out. We'll uh, we'll definitely be here with them. So uh, and if you miss them this week, we'll plug them next week as well. So if you forget, um, okay. So moving on to plugs. Um, yeah, like I always kick these off, so I'll jump into it. Um, if you guys want more content from me, you can uh, go check out my writing over at CBR.com. Um, it's uh, you know, just search Pete and Bessie on CBR, you'll find me. Uh, my current article, I just got another one out about The Walking Dead. It's 15 things that are in the future of the book that I hope make the jump to the television series and don't get cut for FCC reasons or whatever. Um, so please go check that out. Support me. Help me uh, pay the rent. And um, if you want to go check out my YouTube channel, it's Slack and Slash or slackandslash.com. You can check out. We do Let's Plays, a podcast every Monday, stuff like that. And then if you want to just come connect with me, you can get me on social media at loud underscore Pete. Come talk to me about comics, movies, video games, whatever. Come have a dialogue with me. Uh, this week, I'm going to plug babies. Uh, make sure that you uh, have them. I don't know. That was dumb. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I am uh, truly going to plug a uh, friend of the show, uh, Matt Mitchell, uh, Mario, Mario Fascio. Mm, I should have taken a second to figure out how to pronounce this guy's name. Better late than never, but it's the portion of the show where Kale gets <laughs> someone's name wrong. Uh, Mario Fat, Fa- I'm so sorry, Mario. Mario <laughs> Fascioni uh, and James Pender. Uh, these uh, these guys, uh, Matt, Mario, and James have a, a podcast called the glaswegian geeks they uh take uh you know the the garbage geek movies that uh we all love to hate and they uh review them uh their latest episode is on the halle berry catwoman and they um they they took that bullet for the rest of us um so make sure that you go listen to the things they have to say they're really great guys they have a uh that thick glaswegian scottish accent so if you want to listen to some uh, some Scottish guys talk about Halle Berry's Catwoman, uh, the Glaswegian Geeks is uh, is your show. You know, real quick, I also want to uh, plug another friend of the show. Uh, our friends over at the the Longbox Podcast just celebrated their fiftieth episode. 
you go check that one out. Um, you know, they're great friends of the show. They've been on the show in the past. Go check out episode seven or whatever when they were on. Uh, we were on their episode of the Short Box Podcast, which is their monthly book club. So uh, go check out their content. They're great guys. Well, if you're going to listen to any episode of theirs, only listen to the one that we're on. There you go. Um, also, their stuff is NSFW, so make sure you're wearing headphones. Don't listen to it around your kids. Uh, yeah, it's a good, good show, though. The, Check it out. Those guys are NSFW. I mean, at least Matt is. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, other than that, I'll plug uh, my comics company, Panels Publishing, or a small company that uh, publishes, that that works with novice public, uh, creators to uh, get them into the business. Um, so you could check out our stuff on uh, Comixology under Panels uh, Publishing. You can find us on our web store at selfie.com slash Panels Publishing. Find us on uh, Facebook at Panels Comics and on Twitter at Panels Comics with an X. And then uh, if you want to come yell at me and thank me for babies, uh, you can uh, find me uh, at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W on Twitter and Instagram. All right, so firstly, uh, let's pour a cold one out to our fallen friends who couldn't be here. If you want to follow Sean, you can find him on Sean Soapbox. Make him use social media more because he doesn't want to, and that's funny. Tweet at him every day, please, seriously. I will sincerely – like I'll personally thank you on the air if you tweet at Sean every single day and harass him. That'd be hilarious. We will find you, and we will give you a high five. We'll send you a free sticker when we make them. Dude, you can come watch Justice League with us and laugh as we all just struggle through it. We'll pay to take you to Justice League. <laughs> we'll pay for your oh subway fare, not your not your movie ticket. Yeah, we're or not. Your, I mean, or like, your plane fare. Yeah, right. We're going stag on this one, okay? If 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 you're in New York, we'll pay for your yeah, subway yeah. fare. And then Marco, you can find him at uh, Woe is Marco or Woe is Marco underscore on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you know, don't don't even follow him. Forget about that guy. Yeah, don't bother. And then uh, that leaves me, the uh, the best. All right, guys, that's it for the show. Uh... <laughs> the best. <laughs> and in the that world. leaves me, the best one of the three. <laughs> uh. Like I said at the beginning of the show, soon it will just be me and no one else except for Marco, who will be editing the show but not allowed to talk on it because it will just be me talking for two and a half hours. Uh, and then you can find me We warned on... you about pundit journalism, guys. We warned you what would happen. <laughs> I am the comic pal. Uh, Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I retweet a lot of stuff. You can get involved. Uh, I harass Marco a lot on Twitter, so you can get involved on that too. Uh, and then I I also have an article coming out this week on CBR. It will be on the 15 best Grant Morrison stories. And before that, Whoop. I did the 15 best superhero animals, which came out a little bit uh, a couple days ago. So you can check that out now. All right, guys. So with that, we are the Comics Pal signing off. We'll see you next time. Bye. I had a joke, but I couldn't remember it. Ha, 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 ha.